morning. You're listening to 2XFM 98.3. The program is Subject ACT, where we explore issues and events that shape our local community. It's Monday the 10th of October. My name is Becca Posterino, the executive producer of Subject ACT and 2XFM Current Affairs Coordinator. Lovely to have your company today. The ACT community has the opportunity to exercise their democratic muscles and elect candidates who best represent their community this Saturday, the 15th of October. Firstly, how to vote. The redistribution that concluded in 2015 determined the ACT electoral boundaries and names for five electorates, each with five members for the 2016 ACT Legislative Assembly election, as opposed to the three electorates prior. So there will now be 25 members elected for the Legislative Assembly. As specified on the AEC website, to record a valid vote, write the numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 on your ballot paper and so on in the squares in the order of your choice. No ticks or crosses. Be careful not to use the same number twice, they say. You should fill out at least five squares as there are five vacancies in each electorate. The electorates are Brindabella, Jinandera, Karajong, Murrumbidgee and Urabi. If you are uncertain of your electorate, visit www.elections.act.gov.au. Today we meet some of the candidates, including Greens representative for Murrumbidgee, Caroline Lakuda, Liberal candidate Brooke Curtin representing Karajong and Sustainable Party Australia candidate Martin Tai for Jinandera. I led a panel discussion to address community issues. You're listening to Subject ACT on 2XXFM 98.3. Lovely to have your company today. On the panel today, we have Caroline Lakuda. She is a Murrumbidgee candidate. She has served previously as a ACT MLA. And we also have Brooke Curtin, who is a former Air Force navigator and corporate leader, has done an MBA and been a senior advisor to a defence minister and stands alongside her Liberal Party colleagues, including Steve Dospot and former federal candidate Elizabeth Lee in Currajong. She's also standing for the electorate of Currajong. And we have Martin Tyne, he's a representative from Sustainable Australia Party. Welcome to the panel and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Beck. Thanks, Beck. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll start with you, Caroline. You have served as a member for the Legislative Assembly and you are a representative and spokesperson for the Greens Party. The ACT uh, community seems polarised by the light rail. How much will this project cost and why is it more viable than investing in an updated action bus service, for instance? The capital cost of the project is about $750 million. Please excuse me for saying about that I don't have the figures exactly in front of me. Half of that is going to be paid initially by as a capital contribution, I believe, next year. And then after that, we'll be paying it off over the next 20 years. So the cost of the light rail, while considerable, is nothing compared to the cost of our road system. We're spending in the order of $500 million this year on our roads. And in terms of your question of which would do better, investing in light rail or investing in the action bus service, from the Greens' point of view, it's not an either or, it's a both. Light rail to work properly will need buses to, to take people into the light rail hub points. The Greens have always supported a strong, vibrant public transport system and we think the light rail is what we need to make it really work. 
Brooke, the ACT Liberal Party leader Jeremy Hansen diametrically opposes the light rail. If he was elected, I spoke to him last year. How will the Liberal Party recoup the costs already invested by the Labor government if the project is abandoned? Not only does Jeremy Hansen oppose it, but all members of the Liberal Party oppose it. And of course, many people I've spoken to oppose it as well. In terms of the the cost to start with, it costs $1.78 billion, and that's the figure from the Auditor General. It will cost every household $500 per year on their rates every year for the next 20 years. This cost is extraordinarily high, so and our rates are already high as it is. We will cancel the light rail if and when the Canberra Liberals are elected into government. There is currently a cancellation clause as part of the light rail contract, and we will enact that clause of the contract. We don't have the final figure on it. It's not completely transparent, but obviously it would be a lot less than the $1.78 billion that it will cost to actually implement a light rail. But for the cancellation figure and the cost, we will get a maximum service for that payment. For example, if work is already underway in terms of preparing road surfaces and the like, we will continue with that work towards our improved bus system policy and continue to receive it the, as much service as we can for our cancellation fee. How can we explain this disparity between $750 million to $1.78 billion? I'm playing devil's advocate sure. here. Election will be on the Saturday that this program is. Oh. How can we explain this disparity? Because we're talking about different figures. I'm talking about the cost of building the light rail, whereas Brooke is talking about the cost over 20 years. If okay. you talked about the cost over 20 years of running our road system, I don't know how many billions it would be, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a lot more than $1.78 billion. We're, mm-hmm. we're not comparing apples and apples. We're comparing apples and oranges, mm-hmm. and that's what makes the whole discussion so about light rail so confusing because we're not talking about the same things all Mm -hmm. the time. Do you have an answer to that, Brooke? Oh, yes. The $1.78 billion is a figure from the Auditor General mm-hmm. and the Greens candidate agrees with, with that figure. So, And it is a, tw- a figure over 20 years for capital cost and for operating cost as well. And quite simply, it's extraordinarily expensive. And having an alternative system that can do the same thing in a bus system is a minute fraction of the cost. It's, pr- it's pretty simple. And it doesn't matter which figure you use. Trams are expensive and old technology. I'll move over to you, Martin. Our party is very much for public transport. However, we do feel there are better options than the light rail. The other point about it is the business case relies on what we would consider massive overdevelopment along the corridor, high-rise apartments, etc., which in turn will throw a huge infrastructure burden in terms of providing on the budget, in terms of providing schools, roads, hospitals to support that form of growth. And it's this sort of complete economic analysis that's lacking in a lot of what's going on in the government today. I'm from a small business background, and you can't just look at things that narrowly. You've got to look at the big picture. So that would be another reason why we would be against it. Having said that, we reserve the right to, when we get to see the real figures and the actual case, if I was in there, we'd have a look and see the real cost of getting out of it. I've heard conflicting stories about that too. So we need to have a look at that. Representing the Sustainable Party, what does your party mean, make Australia better, not bigger, and isn't the heart of Australia immigration and multiculturalism? What are the values behind this party platform, if you could clarify that? Well, quite simply, we stand for an economically, environmentally and socially sustainable Australia. 
We are very much for immigration on a non-discriminatory basis. We're just saying it needs to be sustainable immigration, and this is not about refugees. We support the current refugee intake. They're often scapegoated, which is quite a sad reflection on our country. So it's about the population issue, making sure that everybody has access to a good job, a house, and we believe a, a, a strong multicultural society can thrive as long as everybody has access to the basics of life. Now, if you grow your population faster than you grow secure, sustainable employment opportunities, out of balance with our environmental capacity, the infrastructure, access to schools, roads, hospitals, policing services, other community services, then it's a recipe for social chaos. I've seen it overseas. So our party is focused on getting the balance right. Caroline, how will the ACT government best address the many issues arising from high-density public housing areas and the subsequent impact of mental health on a community, high unemployment rates? I'm using the Oaks Estate as a primary example. Why isn't there a bus service to the Oaks Estate and why has the government, why is this almost a, an institutionalised ghetto? It seems as if this particular estate has been excluded. I think that's a very reasonable question to ask. I mean, Oaks Estate... Oaks Estate, as you know, is just on the other side of the railway line from Queanbeyan. What would actually make sense? And there are, no, there are no shops in Oaks Estate apart from those selling alcohol. I think it's just one selling alcohol. What would actually make sense is that Oaks Estate becomes part of Queanbeyan. I'm not trying to say this from the point of view of Canberra giving up responsibility for, for the citizens, but that's really the community that they are part of. And I also acknowledge that that's not likely to happen anytime soon. Given that case... Canberra really should be providing a decent public transport system to Oaks Estate and along those lines one of the things that we need to do from a public transport point of view is better cooperation with Queanbeyan. A lot of people come from Queanbeyan every day to work in Canberra and vice versa. They're two different systems. This is one of the bits of transport integration that we actually need to have happen and part of that is getting Oaks Estate as part of, as part, it's part of Canberra. It deserves to have a public mm. transport system. I totally, utterly agree with you on that one. 42% public housing in this mm. particular area, a high proportion of this community, yeah. affected or directly impacted from the overflow of reintegrating prisoners back into mm. the community. Is there an explanation? Shane Rattenbury is not here to make this direct comment, but it was explained to me by this particular attendee that Shane was asked will there be a bus service? And he blatantly said no. How can he explain that response? Look, I don't know what Shane said. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I, you know, I can't comment yes. on that. But look, certainly Oaks Estate needs more services mm -hmm. than it has at present. I mean, that is abundantly true. Mm -hmm. I'd also say as a matter of both Greens and the wider ACT yes. government policy, it is to, to break down the, the silos where we have a very high concentration of public housing. Yes. The policy is clearly one of salt and pepper. Mm -hmm. Oaks Estate is a historical an anomaly. Mm -hmm. It was built that way a long time ago. Yes. And nobody would do it again. And the issue now is how to change it so that yes. things... Are, and it's particularly complicated because of the private housing in Oaks Estate. An awful lot of that is, in fact, heritage listed. And there is really difficult issues I ha have been out in my previous lifetime as a Greens MLA. I... I've been out there a few times mm. talking to people and there is quite a, because of the heritage issues, and it's a very small space, there are some significant issues in terms of, and as I said, because the services from Oaks Estate, or because geographically they're next to Queanbeyan, it is one of Canberra's real planning challenges. Mm. But I think 
Certainly the Greens would agree with the rest of the community. It's a challenge we have ignored for too long. Brooke, I know that in this term of government that the Liberal Party has made representation on behalf of Oaks Estate because it it is quite a problem, making representation to the Labor and the Greens uh, to request the bus service because we support having a bus service for that community. Would you put a bus service out there Um, if you were elected? Whilst I'm not in a position to make up policy in a radio studio, what I do know is that we have made representation to the Labor and the Greens on behalf of the community to advocate for it for a bus service and and to get some support in to the community and have been knocked back so the Labor and the Greens have clearly said that they would they do not support the bus service there yet we've supported in, in the past that we would like a bus service there and advocated for it the community had also asked for public toilets uh, as well and uh, they were told that they could have them but only if they cleaned them themselves this is obviously a government that is not that is struggling to provide for all Canberrans and to even come back and treat the community with such contempt like that is I just find that so surprising that an MLA or a sitting member can actually respond like that and instead let's let's have that conversation again when the liberal when the liberals form government and certainly in my electorate I will always advocate and represent and fight for these very basic and simple things that are a, a decent and honest request for a, a small community and represent them to do so. Martin, did you have anything to say to that particular issue? Well, not really. I was only made aware of this the other night. It's not my electorate and I'm relatively new to politics. All I'd say is if I was there, I'd like to sit down with representatives from Oaks Estate and to be fair, the current government, the Greens, uh, whoever was responsible and find out why Mm. it was knocked back why it can't be done, but I'd like to think we could find a way to get it done. Brooke, the other night you touted rate increases as a key concern from a number of ACT community members. Peter Alford, who I met with last week, he's the president of the Gungahlin Community Council, claims a rates regime as opposed to a stamp duty regime theoretically moves the burden of revenue away from selling off land to land owners in an attempt to avoid the drive to maximise revenue from a certain mechanism, for example, selling off land. What is the Liberal Party's position on this issue? There is no doubt that rates are a key issue. It's the tram and rates, which are the two key issues that will decide the outcome of this election and decide who and how Canberra will be governed for the next four years. It is critical. The challenge with the rates are that they're astronomically high. What I have found in all my work in campaigning to be elected as a member, that the community are actually very reasonable people and the community don't mind paying rates and they don't mind paying their way. However... It needs to be reasonable uh, and they need to receive some services for it. They've been pushed way too far beyond what is sensible and reasonable when it comes to rates. So we've all just got our rate notices uh, recently and they have gone up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars and the claim that rates have gone up 4.5%, I don't know whose rates went up, just that minuscule amount at all. The Labor stating if they were returned to government, rates would go up 7% next year and 7% again the following year. means hundreds and hundreds of dollars every year for every household owner and unit owners are going up even further by 20%. So this is and when they compare it to their friends who live in Sydney or other places in Australia for the size of the block and the rates they pay and the lack of services that they don't receive they are the ones who are telling me this is out of proportion this is out of whack this is unreasonable we've been I don't mind paying my way but we've been pushed too far and they they are angry about it mm-hmm. did you want to respond to that caroline 
Oh, I guess, look, 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 in terms of responding, I suppose the first thing to say is going back to your previous comments about Oaks Estate, because my understanding the Liberals did put up, out a bus plan. It didn't include Oaks Estate, however. But getting on, on to rates, look, the, the Greens agree this is an issue for everybody. Cost of living is an issue. But I think that what the people of Canberra need to think about is what do we want our government to, to do in terms of services? And getting back to the public transport issue that we were talking about before, if we have public transport and active transport such that people in Canberra, families in Canberra, don't have to have two cars, they only have to have one car, the, cost of, the NRMA reckons the cost of a car each year is about $10,000. So if we can have a city that works for everybody in the long run and the medium term, the short run, that is going to be the most efficient, cost fairest thing for all of us. We don't want to see rates increase, but we do want to see Canberra being an affordable place for everybody. Martin, do you have anything to speak? The, the whole point that the other parties are missing here is that we're running a fundamentally unsustainable economic ideology focused on housing and servicing a rapidly growing population and measured by GDP. This generates enormous costs in terms of mm. funding infrastructure, all the vital things that people need, schools, roads, hospitals, all, all of it. It doesn't generate the sustainable revenue streams to support that, especially if we don't have the diversity in our economy and the secure, well-paid, sustainable job opportunities to allow people to generate enough revenue to pay taxes and rates and so on. So we're seeing all this enormous pressure on government budgets to try to fund health, education and the like, forcing rates rises, forcing service cuts. And what we need to do is move out of this ideology. We can't grow forever. We can't keep growing at this rate and shift our focus onto, as we say, better, not bigger, building a more diverse economy with secure, sustainable jobs and take the pressure off the demand for new infrastructure. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3 on local current affairs program, Subject ACT. My name is Becca Posterino, executive producer and presenter of the program. That was a panel discussion of ACT candidates in the lead-up to the ACT election this Saturday, the 15th of October. We heard from Liberal candidate Brooke Curtin for Currajong, Greens candidate for the Murrumbidgee electorate, Caroline Nakuda, and Sustainable Australia candidate for the Ginandera electorate, Martin Tai. Stay with us now as we continue that discussion on local current affairs program, Subject ACT, on 2XXFM 98.3. I'm Becca Posterino. Your party policies are underpinned by small business, sustainable population and protecting Australia's environment from overdevelopment and Australian business. Protecting them from Australian business, but promoting <laughs> Australian business rather. Yes. Is this a modern protectionist approach and is it viable in a globalised world? It certainly is. Look, we have to look after our own country. We are against what's known as free trade. We're not a big supporter of things like the TPP. We are for fair trade. We should interact in a, in a fair and reasonable manner with the world. And, for example, we propose things like social tariffs, environmental tariffs. So where an Australian company is having to compete with an overseas company that's paying slave labour rates, kids $2 an hour or whatever, how can we compete with that? Same with if they're allowed to pump their poisons into the local river and we have to pay for environmental protections. How can we compete with that? So we're saying where countries don't abide by our standards, we impose levies, tariffs, call them what you like, 
to enable Australian business to compete on a level, pl- truly level playing field. That's on the federal level. This mm-hmm. is obviously an ACT sure. election, but we do have a, a large suite of federal policies. We're a federally registered party. I think that's what you're getting at there. Yes. Caroline, the Turnbull mm-hmm. government's moved from a needs-based to a new scheme that will shift funding between states. Well, I'm talking about the Gonski now and education. While sticking to its plan to deny schools $3.9 billion in Gonski funding in 2018 and 19 alone. These statistics I quote from the I Give a Gonski website. The Education Minister Simon, this is a federal Education Minister Simon Birmingham, is now saying he wants to end state-based agreements and move to a one-size-fits-all model, which will leave some states worse off. How will the ACT government respond to these changes and what will it mean for children regardless of their socioeconomic background? Well, the Greens have always supported needs-based funding for schools, That's and which is why we supported the Gonski reforms, because they were in, fundamentally behind them was the idea that, that schools should be funded on the basis of the needs of the pupils. Because of the political compromises that were done at the time, it, there wasn't a, a whole Australia-wide agreement, and there were state-based agreements, so I have to agree that there are some irregularities in what has been proposed at present, but the Greens are very clear that we should be funding... Sorry, what are the irregularities, just to clarify? Look, I'm not going to be able to give you in total detail, but okay. it, as you may be aware, each state did an individual agreement with the federal mm-hmm. government, and that's... I see. And so some of them did better than, than others. Did, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the New South Wales were the, f- the first to sign up, and I think that it's felt that they probably did better than some others because of their first-mover advantage. But I don't have enough knowledge to give you the exact details but I can definitely say there's not a uniform Australia-wide agreement there was a state it's a state-based agreement because Julia Gillard couldn't get the get COAG to to agree to Mm -hmm. it all so from that point of view there is need for work to make it a a fair agreement for all of Australia Mm -hmm. and the Greens support fair funding for all Australian Mm -hmm. kids. And Brooke, why should private schools be favoured in the scramble for government support for funding? Are all children's needs equal in the eyes of the ACT Liberal Party? Mm. Just on the education policy, so this is an ACT election, obviously, mm. and and the focus is about the a- is providing education services for mm-hmm. the ACT. Mm-hmm. We will obviously be working with the federal government mm-hmm. and and doing so accordingly for the mm-hmm. best interests of the ACT people and the students. So in terms of education, it is the ACT legislative assemblies uh, responsibility to deliver education so we won't be using the federal what's happening federally as an excuse what we will be doing is obviously stopping the tramp and focusing on health and education and that's where we firmly believe that the focus should be so because we won't be spending money on a tram we will focus on education and in doing so we'll focus on education for all Canberrans for all students in all schools and our policies for the election will be done so accordingly so that it's not just for public schools but it will also be for independent and other other schools as well Mm -hmm. and we think that's fair, we think that's reasonable that children across Canberra should should have equal uh, funding spent on them. The education package itself is $85 million worth $65 million for infrastructure to uh, assist in upgrading the buildings that really have been left for too long under this Labor and Greens government uh, and and need upgrading. Further, another further uh, $20 million for 
providing support to children with particular needs in the classroom, not just the children but and their immediate support teacher, which we will support, but also the normal, call it the normal regular teacher in the classroom and the principals and the surrounding uh, educators as well. So it's not just a front-end Band-Aid but a whole system to invest in education right across uh, and, and have a fully supported children uh, that require the needs uh, of their support in the classroom. We're very proud of this. It is very, we are focusing on this and because we're not building a tram, the health and education get our priority and we will deliver uh, accordingly. Martin, did you have anything to speak to ACT education? Well, just quickly, obviously education is a top priority for us as well. I'd support some of what Brooke said there in relation to making money available for education perhaps the tram it's always not like the the tram like the old days perhaps in Melbourne when you could have a hospital or a new school and a tram these days you've got to make choices the money's there you have one or the other sometimes and we would probably like to see better public transport a more affordable public transport option and leave money available towards uh, education and health. Sorry, just to clarify, you, you're thinking in a modern world where ASTAS, the community, or the ACT budget is being pushed to a position where it has to choose between those priorities. Oh, of course, yeah. But budget Budgets are always about choosing between priorities and about where you allocate money and how much goes where. Um, it's not an infinite pool. So, yes, that's just responsible. And what is the priority to sustainable Australia? Well, education, health, things like that, better per capita funding. Sometimes we see these announcements that we boosted funding by this much, but they don't allow for the fact that there are now twice as many students. Mm -hmm. So per capita funding for education, health. I mean, obviously the environment is important to us. We have a broad range of priorities. Mm Just a final question. I was speaking to an ANU academic last week on the question of the epidemic of ice in our community. It's not a very, it's not a feel-good issue, but it is certainly an issue that I wanted to raise to each and every one of you. In the ACT, and I have spoken to local community leaders on this, there seems to be a growing incidence of the use of, of ice and the epidemic is a grand word. But what does each party propose we do within the ACT to address this issue? Well, yes, it is a big problem. First of all, you you make sure you maintain a strong, resilient economy that has adequate money to better fund health outcomes. But I think broader than that, it's about maintaining a strong and healthy society that's able to deal with these problems. A lot of these things are, are merely symptoms of young people disillusioned, their opportunities in life. So I think it's important to make sure that your society is functioning well It's not always about throwing money at things, but obviously that does help in some cases. So um, we would like to address it at the root cause and ensure that families worked better together, communities worked better together, and to some extent eliminate these problems and give people more hope for the future so they're not looking for these escapes. So when you say we don't throw money, then what do we do? Yes, we do have to use, it's both. We do need to adequately fund education, that's what we're saying, on a per capita basis. And we need to generate, maintain a strong economy in order to generate the, the money to fund education, health, things like that, the important things to society. But I, I think it's also about building strong communities and a healthy, vibrant city where people maybe look after each other. They notice people slipping through the cracks. It's easy to walk around Canberra now and ignore the amount of homelessness that's obvious. Mm-hmm. I think we need to start with better communities, better families, a strong society and back that up with a strong economy and well-directed funding. 
Thanks, Martin. Brooke, would you like to speak to that? Ice is, is a problem and, that, and the problem will keep growing if we don't have the right policies in place and deliver on those policies as well. Obviously, once the problem exists, it has the knock-on effects downstream into the health system, onto health services, onto the resources in the health system as well as the budget. So the focus has to be on upfront prevention, upfront education on the impact of ice and the and for users the dangers of using it particularly in a longer term situation and so it's about upfront education not only for people who may be about to use it but also for the associated members of the community around them mostly their families uh, and how that they can uh, get support right up front and, and get it quickly focus is on education up front. Caroline? The Greens have always had a health emphasis as far as drugs are concerned. I suppose that's partly because our current federal leader is a doctor and, and Bob Brown obviously was, was a doctor. We, we look at it as a health issue and a harm minimisation issue, not a police issue. We would see more money going into youth mental health in particular. One of the things we would like to fund is non-government organisations who are providing mental health services for our particularly our older kids at school. We've always supported putting more money into mental health and homelessness, the things that Brookie mentioned. Mm -hmm. We agree that those sort of determinants of why people get involved are very important. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3 on local current affairs program subject ACT. That concludes my panel discussion with ACT candidates for the upcoming ACT election, including Liberal candidate Brooke Curtin for Currajong, Greens candidate for the Murrumbidgee electorate Caroline Makuda, and Sustainable Australia candidate for the Ginandera electorate Martin Tai. Thanks for your company today as we unpicked some key issues affecting various electorates as we head into the ACT election this Saturday the 15th of October. Next week I speak to Dr Anthony Hopkins, Senior Lecturer at the ANU College of Law concerning restorative justice in the ACT and the significance of mindfulness and Vipassana meditation in the prison experience. Tomorrow Doug Dobing presents Tuesday's edition of Subject ACT and coming up next... Community Broadcast Network's topical storytelling, all the best. Join us each weekday, 8.30 till 9am, on Local Current Affairs Program, Subject ACT, on 2XXFM 98.3, or stream us live on www.2XXFM.org.au. My name is Becca Posterino. Enjoy your day.